Welcome to the Alliance Party After Dark, a podcast for the politically aware brought to you by the Alliance Party. Content for this episode was recorded on April 5, 2020. And a good evening to you. I'm Dan Schaefer, producer of the podcast. This evening, we're going to experiment with a different format. With the pandemic in play and most people sheltering in their homes, we all have an opportunity to become more introspective about our lives and spend some time thinking about the big picture. To that end, I've asked some of the members of the Alliance Party to contribute verbal editorials that comment on our current condition. First up is Jim Rex, the national chair of the Alliance Party, with a piece that he initially contributed to a newsletter within the party, and now he's reading it aloud for all to hear. It's interesting to note that we kicked off this podcast series last October 2019 with a number of interviews with Jim, and in that podcast he talked about many things, but most notably he talked about our country's preparedness to handle a major pandemic. You could argue that Jim looked into the future and saw what was coming, but in reality he was just commenting on our country's contingency plans to handle pandemics, and these plans are nothing new. They've been around for decades, yet we were still ill-prepared to handle it. In this editorial, Jim explores this idea further. Jim? Thank you, Dan. The letter is entitled, Invisible Enemy Versus a Visible Ally. COVID-19 is regularly referred to as our invisible enemy. Indeed, while predictable, you know, state and national leaders have been told for decades to prepare for this moment. Its physical presence is invisible to Americans. Not at all invisible for years has been the partisanship, apathy, procrastination, corruption, and ineptitude within our elected political bodies that have left us all so ill-prepared and hamstrung as we now desperately try to save both American lives and the American economy. Now is not the time to prioritize the identification of those who should have known better and done more. The time for that, which must not be neglected, will come soon enough after this invisible enemy is vanquished. The national battle cry after the victory must become never again. And this time, these national voices must become a unified chorus if we want to ensure that our future will not look like our past. Can we convince our fellow citizens that we must act as allies, not adversaries with one another as we go about electing and holding accountable a new breed of public serving problem solvers to replace the self-serving partisans who have so demonstrably failed us? Those of us working in and supporting the Alliance Party believe we can. If you have not already done so, please consider going to the Alliance website, theallianceparty.com, and filling out the Ally Pledge, and then using the personalized wallet size Ally card you receive to initiate conversations with family, friends, neighbors, colleagues, yes, and even strangers as to why we all need to behave differently from this day forward. Also, take a moment to describe the TAP candidate agreement and its historically unprecedented requirements of term limits and transparency that are designed to help ensure that alliance candidates, once elected, will not represent more of the same in Washington and our state capitals. Right now is a critical time for all of us to be both proactive and positive in our common fight against our invisible enemy. Let's do it together as committed allies to 
and with one another. In the days ahead, I hope each of you will take every precaution to be safe and to protect the safety of all those around you. Looking forward, Jim Rex, National Chair, the Alliance Party. Thank you, Jim. This next editorial is from Tim Cotton, the Alliance Party's National Political Director. Tim observes that the word quarantine has many meanings other than just fighting a pandemic through isolation. We've been using quarantine for years. Now, unfortunately, Tim is not able to read this editorial today. He's suffering from a major case of allergies that have wreaked havoc on his voice, so I'll do the reading for him at this time. So here it is. We now have a new word in our popular lexicon, quarantine. Quarantine as a concept, however, is not new to America. Since the 1970s, our primary strategy used to deal with poverty, pollution, and various other social problems and challenges has utilized it. We have divided cities and communities with spatial barricades, built fortified enclaves for the affluent, and pursued solutions that relied on segregating the haves from the problems of the have-nots. Then along comes COVID-19, a global crisis that doesn't fit into these parameters. The effects from our practice of isolating problems rather than fixing them are now being revealed, and it is rather ugly. The grand scheme fixes that were begun in the 60s under both JFK and LBJ are a distant memory. The American economic elite and those that represent them in government decided instead to promote racial division as well as class division, avoiding the rising joblessness and poverty. National crises such as World War II, the Great Depression, and even the rebuilding of the 1950s were met with bold national plans of action. Since then, America's major crises and challenges have been met with avoidance and separation. Instead of collective movements and public investment, we have quarantined social problems. Large segments of the population are isolated from those problems blind to the misery it brought, seeing only the resistance it bred. They knew only what they were told by the perpetrators. Unfortunately, to deal with any of the most pressing challenges we face, such as climate change, healthcare, and even education, we have created an elaborate system of barricades to mask them. What are these barricades, you may ask? They have had many different forms over the years. Initially, Jim Crow laws and racial segregation, urban renewal projects and welfare dependency, to today's use of the prison cell. We've made it a core institution in our society, locking up millions of impoverished Americans, disproportionately young men of color, behind bars of state and federal prison cells, and we continue to find new ways to divide up and fortify our communities. But must this be so, we should ask? If we can find ways to collectively make the investment needed to fight this virus, perhaps it will remind us of a basic fact about our species. Our fates are intimately and ultimately connected. Everything in American culture is demarcated with political, administrative, and physical barricades erected to hoard resources, to quarantine social problems, to restrict access to advantaged spaces, and to preserve and reproduce social inequalities. We have become a nation accustomed to respond to great challenges by avoiding them, rather than collectively working toward a solution. This philosophy has made it so that the most pressing challenges facing us have gone unaddressed, our national problems have been laid upon the most disadvantaged, and inequality has continued to grow. Nothing has exposed this more than the COVID-19 crisis. If we can muster the collective investment needed to fight back against COVID-19, perhaps it will serve as a reminder of a basic fact about our species. Our fates are intimately connected. Once this crisis is behind us, we will face a global recession, extreme inequality, 
and the ongoing existential threat of climate change. We've become a nation that responds to these kind of challenges by giving people the chance to separate themselves from the problem. This cannot work. This virus should show us that there is an alternative way to solve the problems that face us, and that is collectively. Again, that was from the Alliance Party's national political director, Tim Cotton. This final editorial comes from yours truly, Dan Schaefer. First, a bit of background. Since I started producing this podcast along with M. Lloyd Johnson, I've had an opportunity to speak with lots of people about many topics that have a direct effect on our society. I've learned about the debt crisis, voting rights issues, health care problems, and religion and politics, to name a few. I've also been able to speak with some influential individuals that try desperately to steer this collective ship we call America towards safe shores. And I've learned a lot. One of the most significant contributors to the slow deterioration of our government lies in the diminishing influence of the institutions that convey the government policy into practice. The documents that drive these institutions are known as regulations, and though I agree we need to continually evaluate the usefulness of each regulation, I believe in recent decades we've cut too deep into the bone, and as a result, we left ourselves vulnerable on many fronts. We're paying a higher price than we may realize. The title of this editorial is, The Tin Man Has No Heart. There are a number of metaphorical interpretations of The Wizard of Oz where the Tin Man represents industry, and to a looser degree, capitalism in general. If you know the story, each of the main characters pursues a goal that they feel will fulfill them in some way. The Tin Man's goal is to find a heart. The message I got from this story is that capitalism does not have a heart. We are all the wiser to remember this little observation. I'm not trying to be cynical, but if you consider the damage that unmitigated capitalism has foisted upon our society, you'll flirt with cynicism yourself. Case in point, the opioid crisis. Why would any industry intentionally hunt down its prey of people suffering from pain and then poison them with an addictive drug from which they could not escape? Do you think any individual within the pharmaceutical industry would want his or her own child poisoned to death? No way. But these same people apparently have no such self-imposed ethical barriers to working for a company that does precisely that. Now, to be fair, most employees are probably not even aware that their efforts are collectively contributing to this disaster. They're just working for a living like the rest of us. And at the end of the day, everybody's going to make a living, right? So I'm not implying that any individual person in the industry is inherently evil, with perhaps a couple exceptions. On the contrary, you'll find a lot of kind-hearted and well-intentioned people throughout the pharmaceutical industry, just like any other industry. But when you take a large number of people working for the same company that must post a profit and provide value to shareholders, the result can morph into unabashed evil. As a collective embodiment of any large company, the Tin Man thus has no heart. And here's the kicker. In general, he truly is blameless. He is as blameless as a rattlesnake that bites you out of instinct. Like the rattlesnake, the Tin Man is a necessary part of the ecosystem and is therefore capable of doing much good. He keeps people employed. He does, under the right circumstances, increase the quality of life for large groups of people. But like the rattlesnake, you must never trust the Tin Man to act with kindness on your behalf. I mean, consider this. I've often heard people say something like, Wow, now that the company has automation that replaces a lot of people's jobs, they should cut back on their employees' hours and maybe pay them more. Or maybe they should increase health care coverage for their employees. I mean, what else are they going to do with all that money? They could put it to good use. To which I provide the boneheaded obvious answer. They'll let their employees go, lower their prices to drive their competitors out of business, 
and give their stockholders a stellar return on their value. What's more, since the managers of the company hold stock options themselves, they'll cash in and take an early retirement, and they won't skip a beat as they whistle while walking past the unemployment line. Okay, I'm being cynical here, but really, when you think about it, I'm not being all that cynical. The problem is that industry has no heart. In general, they don't care if you're suffering from diabetes and need insulin to survive and you just lost your job. I mean, you can die for all they care. Because, technically, once you're out of a job, industry doesn't need you anymore. I'd love to be wrong about this, but I know I'm not. So what's the cure? Can we give the Tin Man a heart? No. Sadly, no. A Tin Man with a heart will soon die. To him, a heart is a destructive organ. But there are other things that can be done. This is where regulations enter the fray. If the Tin Man is forced to pay for an employee's health care until he or she hooks up with a new job, the Tin Man may decide to keep that person employed. Perhaps training the obsolete employee to fill a different position within the company is less expensive than taking on the additional health care cost for that person. Or consider making it illegal for managers to be granted stock options or any other form of equity sharing as a bonus or incentive. They can buy stock on the open market like anybody else, but they can only do so in limited quantities and only with their own money. Alternatively, they can be granted bonuses based on company profits, but not based on company stock value. They're not the same thing, by the way. With this regulation, managers would be more incentivized to work with their employees rather than kicking them to the side of the road. Allow me to take a step back here. I'm not trying to suggest any specific course of action. I'm just trying to spark some new ideas on how to approach the problem of the heartless tin man. In the past, the problem was addressed through insightful regulation and rigorous enforcement. My concern is that, as a society, we've gotten away from this practice. For example, the Glass-Steagall Act was repealed in 1999 after decades of helping build the strongest economy in the world. Other regulations designed to protect our society from the grip of the Tin Man have equally fallen by the wayside, exposing everyone to an increasing amount of risk, both financially and physically, and helping to widen that chasm between the haves and the have-nots. The tragic result, I argue, is that the United States is rapidly losing its title as the world's strongest economy. These days, it's common knowledge that our politicians shamelessly accept money and services from the Tin Man in the form of direct and indirect campaign contributions. We've accepted the idea that lobbyists author most of the bills from which our laws are forged. You see, the Tin Man lacks a heart, but he has a very active and clever brain. If regulations impede his progress in any way, he will find a way to unwind those very regulations. And it isn't just a matter of paying off politicians with campaign contributions, well-funded political action committees, and personal largesse. It's an active rigging of the entire system. It's controlling the messaging that says regulations are bad. For example, regulations cost jobs. Or, outsourcing to foreign companies holds prices lower and keeps everyone employed. I mean, really, when you think about it, most of these messages just don't make any sense. But the Tin Man controls the media, and therefore he controls the messaging. It doesn't have to make sense if everyone mindlessly repeats the mantra over and over until it burrows itself deep into our psyche and once lodged in that precious part of our brains we call our consciousness, it eventually starts to make sense. And then, individuals will take to the streets to righteously fight for their right to have less rights. They'll do the Tin Man's work for him. Now you may think that an educated electorate can fight this trend, but don't forget, the Tin Man is clever, and he is one step ahead in this game. He has created messaging that demonizes the intellectuals. 
a less educated public, using smartphones, the internet, and all the other trappings of technology created by intellectuals, fortifies messages of distrust toward the educated folks, branding them with such labels as, quote, out-of-touch elites. Government agencies that try to warn us about imminent ecological disasters, or pandemics, or poisoned water, or global warming, are marginalized by a tin man that manufactures unscientific studies that obfuscate the warnings and convince the undereducated that the elites are part of a deep state conspiracy that are using these warnings as a way to take over the world. And on it goes. The bottom line is that the Tin Man is heartless and must be tamed. What he lacks in heart, he makes up for with cleverness. The key here is to understand the Tin Man, to see the good that he can do, and to bring him to heel with regulations to ensure that the good is maximized and the evil is marginalized. Okay, that's it for today's episode of the Alliance Party After Dark. We hope these editorials have provided you with something to think about. And thank you for tuning in to the Alliance Party After Dark podcast. Please consider subscribing to this podcast so that you don't miss any episodes. Each week, we'll bring you interesting topics from the Alliance Party. You can subscribe on iTunes, Google, or Spotify. All content for this podcast is copyright the Alliance Party. Views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the Alliance Party. This podcast is a production of the Alliance Party, a decades-long movement of fiscally conservative, moderate, accountable, and reasoned independents, former Democrats, former Republicans, and alienated voters who demand that our elected officials work in the spirit of nonpartisanship for all constituents and provide a better future for our country. This podcast was made possible by your donations to the Alliance Party. If you'd like to join the Alliance Party, visit our website at theallianceparty.com. Drop in, see what we're all about, and get involved. Volunteer your time, make a donation, submit an article or blog, or run for office. We'd love to hear from you. I'm Dan Schaefer, producer of the Alliance Party After Dark, and on behalf of everyone at the Alliance Party, have a wonderful evening, a great week ahead, and we hope you drop in for our next show. Be safe, be aware, and please take care of yourself and those around you.